about a month ago, it might even have been a little bit more, we um, had a prayer meeting at our house on a Wednesday night. And just as a bunch of people were praying together, Mark just said, you know what, I feel like God's saying that this summer is going to be a summer of His Spirit. And as I was just leaning into God and saying, God, what is it that you would have me speak today? I thought one of the key pillars of understanding the Holy Spirit, of leaning into His Spirit, is understanding your authority. And so I just want to put one of those bricks down in the foundation as we launch into the changeover summer. I just want us to go deep, that cornerstone, that foundation of understanding your authority, because once you understand your authority, then you can begin to lean into His Spirit. And so we're going to find ourselves in 2 Kings chapter 6 today. 2 Kings chapter 6. If you were here a few weeks ago, we found ourselves in 2 Kings chapter 5. And so... We'll just go <laughs> to the next chapter along. And if you are here for the first time and you've never heard me preach, I always say this. The scripture comes alive, text comes alive when we find ourselves in the story. So find yourself in the story today. That's what helps to bring it alive. That's what helps you go, okay, God, what is it that you're saying to me? So as I'm reading, there's a couple of characters in this story. I'll tell you which one I am, and, um, but find yourself in this story. So 2 Kings chapter 6, I'm probably not going to read everything that's on the screen today. We'll see how we go. But it says, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. This is the same king who sent his servant Naaman to be healed by Elisha, who was in Israel. <laughs> Just a chapter later, he's back at war with them. After conferring with these officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such place. And then the man of God, which we know to be Elisha, would send word to the king of Israel. And he would say, hey, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel would check out the place indicated by the man of God. And time and time again, I love this, Elisha would warn the king so that he was on his guard in those places. And this totally enraged the king of Aram. Wouldn't you be just so frustrated? You're a king, you're trying to take territory, and um, you come up with all these great plans, all these great um, um, schemes, and you go to plot against Israel. And then God tells the prophet, God tells Elisha, your secret plans. And so they prepared. And he's like, this is just ridiculous. So he gets to the point where he summons all his officers, and he demands of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Natural response, logic response. How can it be that Israel always know where I'm going to attack? How is it that they are always prepared for when I'm coming against them? Somebody must be a spy. Somebody on my team must be telling them to pre-warn them. So which one of you is it? And they responded, hey, king, it is none of us. It's not us. We're not doing this. And um, they said, but Elisha, you know that guy Elisha that you sent Naaman to? (laughs) The one who healed, yeah, him. It's him. He's telling the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So the king, he's like, well, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. I know. You guys go and find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. And so the report came back that Elisha is in Dotham. So he sent his horses and his chariots and scripture says a strong force to that city. And they went by night and they surrounded the city. This story is getting really exciting. Are you ready for it? When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, 
What did he see? He saw an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. You know, in our prayer meetings, we've been singing the song, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And this is exactly the text that they get that worship song from. And so the servant, he's like, oh no, if you're wondering who I am in the story, this is me. I'm like, oh no, my Lord, what are we going to do? Elisha, the man of God, if you highlight in your Bible, if you underline, I encourage you to underline this scripture, this verse. It says, do not be afraid. Why? Because those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. Those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. The servant went out. What did he see? He saw the enemy army against him. He saw the horses and the chariots. He saw himself surrounded. And Elisha says, hey, you don't need to be afraid because there is actually an army greater than the one that you can see naturally that is for us. So whoever is against us is tiny, is small, is insignificant in comparison to who is for us. And I love Elisha's response. He did not berate his servant. He did not say to his servant, my goodness, really, after all these years, you still can't see? But instead, he does this, he prays, and he says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills filled with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There is something that is for you that is greater than that which is against you. And when we're going to understand our authority this morning, we need to know, even 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says this, we fix our eyes on what? Not what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is just temporary. And that which is unseen is eternal. This morning, you need to know that greater is he that is for you than he that is against you. It may look like you're surrounded. It might look like there is no way out. And honestly, for the past two weeks trying to find a venue, I felt like we were surrounded (laughs) in the negative. I felt like, my goodness, when are we going to see what God has? But you need to remember, if you're going to walk in your authority, if you're going to understand your authority, that, that, that Jesus who is for you is far greater than that which is against you. You are born for more than the temporal. You're born for more than the fleeting. So don't always look at what is seen because what is unseen is far more eternal. It was six years ago, like Stephanie said, that we um, had the opportunity to go back to Australia. And um, Becca was born in Houston. The rest of us... Um, well, I'm born in South Africa, but I, I'm on an Australian passport. I'm an Australian citizen. And so Ellie, Mark, and Oscar are all traveling on an Australian passport. Beckett was born in Houston. And so we're getting ready for, to go back to Australia for a month. And I'm all focused about getting Beckett into Australia. So he becomes an Australian citizen by descent. We get him an Australian passport. And it's all good. We go to Australia. We spend a month with family. And then comes the day to fly back to America. And we're at the airport, and the airline will not issue Beckett a boarding pass because he has no authority to re-enter the US. It was a scary moment. (laughs) It was a very, very scary moment. So we had to go online, 
and quickly get him a temporary visitor's visa. And so we got that. They issued him his boarding pass and pretty much said, good luck when you get to San Francisco. Beautiful 14 long hour flight. We get to SFO and um, finally get to the customs and he's looking at us and he's like, if I stamp this passport, if I stamp this Australian passport, this child is gonna have to leave the US in three months. And I'm like, well, we can't have that. And he's like, I can see you guys are in a little bit of a dilemma, but he has no authority to re-enter the US. And I'm like, but he's a citizen. He, he was born here. I understand that, but you have no documentation to prove that. And so I'm like, well, what are we going to do? I'm totally tired. I'm exhausted, traveling with a six-year-old and a three-year-old, not on my best game. And he said, well, I'm going to have to call my supervisor. And don't raise your hand, but there's a thing called the secondary room at the airport where they send all the shady characters. And um, <laughs> so there's Ellie, Mark, Oscar and Beckett being ushered into the secondary room. And you sit there and you have to surrender your passports, you have to surrender your green cards, you have to sit and wait till your case gets heard. So two hours later, they summons me and um, I get an opportunity to um, speak my case. You know, what happened? What did you do? And I was like, well, I was thinking about getting him into Australia. I neglected to think about getting him, you know, into the US. And I can honestly still hear his condescending voice towards me. I can still hear the way he went, lady. The last time I checked, there was no Houston in, in Australia. Like, yes, evidently I made a mistake. And um, eventually he throws my Australian passports back at me and he says, if you ever take this child out of the US again, he better have an American passport to enter. He has an American passport in case you're just <laughs> worried, we're okay, we're all good. Becca will enter Australia on his Australian passport and he will enter the US on his American passport. But this is what the Lord said to me. When you don't understand your authority, it's like you're behaving as though you only have a temporary visa. It's like you just have a visitor's visa, which is not what God would have you know and understand today. The enemy wants you to think it's just temporary. The enemy wants you to think you're just a visitor. But God wants you to understand that you are a citizen, that you have authority. And in fact, Matthew 16 verse 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's the ownership and the rightship that you and I have. It's not, we're not temporary visitors. We're not just passing by going, oops, okay, I'm just a visitor in your country. No, you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Understand your authority so that you can walk in your authority. You are not on a visitor's visa today. If you know Jesus, if you've asked him into your heart, if you've surrendered ownership and lordship of your life to him, then you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 1 John 4, 4 says, He who is in you, who is in you? Jesus Christ is greater than he that is in the world. Understand your authority this morning. You have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Christ who lives inside of you is far greater than he that is in the world. Proverbs 26 verse 2 says, An undeserved curse will be powerless to harm you. It may flutter over you like a bird, but it will have no place to land. An undeserved curse cannot take a hold on your life. 
In other words, a curse without a cause cannot stick. That is your authority this morning. That is your, what you and I get to walk in. You have the keys. You have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Greater is Christ who is in you than he that is in the world. And an undeserved curse will be powerless against you. Meaning if there's been a generational curse that has been prayed over you, it has no authority and it has no room to take place into your life. It cannot stick. You are a follower of Christ. You are born again. You have been set apart. You are a new creation. Whatever was spoken cannot take a hold in your life. It can flutter, but it can have no place to land. That is the authority that you and I have this morning. Can I hear an amen? Amen. It's good news. Amen. You may have confessed addiction has been always in my family. This morning, you're going to change your confession and say, no more. No more. I have the keys to the kingdom and that curse cannot find a place to lend on my life or on my children's life or my children to come. Whatever it is that you think is generational, this is the way it's always been. You need to know this morning that that is not the plan and the purpose and the destiny that God has for you. And I want to share just three simple things with you as to how do I understand my authority? How do I walk in my authority? And I just want to give you three really practical things. Number one, your eyes have been opened. When you understand your authority, it means that your eyes have been opened. So you're not looking at the temporal anymore. You're not looking at the natural anymore. You're not looking at the scene anymore. You become like the servant. When Elisha says, God opened his eyes and all of a sudden he saw the horses and the chariots and he saw how great an army was surrounding them because more and greater was that who was for them than who was against them. And I pray that this would be revelation to you this morning, that you'll begin to see what you did not see before. Maybe you just saw things spiraling downwards and I pray God turns that around and shows you his plan. I pray that he shows you what it is that he has purposed for your life. May he open your eyes this morning. May he open my eyes this morning. I wish I was Elisha in the story. I really do. But I'm the servant, and I need God to open up my eyes to show me his goodness, to show me his greatness, to show me what it is that he has for me, because I want to walk in my authority. But in order for me to walk in my authority, I have to understand my authority. Open our eyes. Number two, if I understand my authority, then repentance is a daily lifestyle. And I know repentance is not a cool word. It's not a funny word. I couldn't even think of anything that rhymes with repentance. Thank you for laughing. (laughs) We've got to say sorry. We've got to ask for forgiveness. The moment your eyes are opened to see what you did not see before, our first response is to say, God, would you forgive me? God, would you forgive me? God, I am sorry for believing a lie. God, I am sorry for carrying that. God, I'm sorry for whatever it is. See, the truth is, I'd made a huge mistake. By not getting back at an American passport, I'd made a big mistake. There's no other way around it. And there was nothing I could say to the immigration officer other than, I am sorry. I made a mistake. Can we fix it? Or are we going back to Australia forever? But the truth is, I didn't intentionally seek out to cause harm 
to your immigration service. I didn't intentionally want to spend an extra two hours in a really, really shady, unsavory room with characters that, you know, hopefully come to church one day <laughs> because they need Jesus. I, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't make this mistake on purpose. And for most of us, that's how it is. We find ourselves making mistakes or getting involved or thinking things that we weren't meant to, not intentionally, but we just found ourselves there. You know, and I can still hear the disdain in his voice. I I can still hear it. And I wonder if there's been times when you've made a mistake, and perhaps it was a family member, or perhaps it was a leader, or whoever it was, and they treated you with incredible contempt, with incredible disdain, because you made a mistake. That wasn't how Elisha treated his servant. Elisha, instead of saying, hey, you are an idiot, (laughs) you are a fool, instead of him getting frustrated at him, he didn't. He just said, God, open his eyes. And I'm so grateful that the culture of exchange churches, that when someone makes a mistake here, you're not met with disdain, you're not met with um, condemnation, but you're met with people praying, going, God, would you open their eyes? God, would you just show them? Would you show them what the scripture says? Would you show them, Lord, that there is a better way? And I pray that you would be that person in turn. If someone makes a mistake or hurts you or wrongs you, that what they get from you is prayer that says, God, open their eyes. Let them see. Because that's how the world's going to know that Jesus is real, by the love that they see that you and I show towards each other. Saying sorry, make it a daily lifestyle. Asking God for forgiveness. Make it a daily habit. Repentance. Let it just be something. When you go to pray, go to get up in the morning, go to sleep, whichever it is that you do, God, go over my eyes. Is there anything? And then just with humility, repent. Just say, God, I am sorry. For those of you who are parents, you probably have kids. I have two boys. And... Um, Great idea to have those drones last week on Father's Day. It was awesome, except for those drones came back to our house. And I have two boys playing so nicely, playing so merrily for the first little bit. And then all of a sudden, it became a competition to see who could knock whose drone out of the air first. And then it became a competition to see who could fly the drone into the other one's face. And sure enough, a drone went smack into one of the onto his nose, tears, crying. What's the first thing that I do? You need to say sorry. But it was an accident. I know it was an accident because I'm trying to instill into my boys the habit of you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to apologize. Why? Because you made a mistake. It wasn't intentional. I get that. But nonetheless, it was still a mistake. When you and I can have a lifestyle of repentance, we can understand our authority. We can understand that there is something greater than just what you and I can see now. You know, the reason why I made my mistake, I was so focused on getting Beckett into Australia, I neglected to think about getting him into the US. Often mistakes are made because of a small distraction. Because all of a sudden I hone in and I'm zooming in on just this one little thing that I forget a whole bunch of other things. Would you begin to pray and ask God, God, help me not be distracted. Those little things that I think are so massive that are consuming me, if I just stay focused on that, I'm missing a whole bunch else. So God, would you help me? Would you open up my eyes? Amen. And the last one. Understanding my authority means this, that I'm holding on to both the promise, but also the giver of the promise. I'm holding on to the giver of the promise, and I'm holding on and declaring the promise. 2 Corinthians 1.20, 
It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, I love it, they are yes and amen. doesn't matter what promises God has spoken, and there's well over 3,000 documented promises in Scripture, they are yes and they are amen. Psalm 37 verse 3, it says, So fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure. Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what? He who promised is faithful. And 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, I love this, he remains faithful. If you are to understand your authority, if you are to walk in the authority that you have in Christ, you have got to hold on to the giver of the promise and you've got to hold on to the promise. So if you find yourself not understanding your authority, if you find yourself not walking in the authority that God has for you, ask yourself, has it just been about the promise? Have I just been declaring scripture? Have I just been believing for my spouse? Have I just been believing for my house? Have I just been believing for children? Have I just been speaking the promise? But I've neglected to hold on to the giver of the promise because you can't walk in your authority unless you're holding on to both. Or perhaps you're just holding on to God. I'm just glad to be saved. I'm just glad to be in church. I'm just glad to be a Christian. But you're not making any declarations. You're not believing for anything. You're not stepping out. You're not holding on to anything. You're not making Scripture come alive because you're just holding on to Jesus, which is awesome. Hold on to Him, please. But don't stop declaring the promises because that's the activation. That's the bit where faith starts to rise. You hold on to God and you hold on to the promises. Faithfulness is not something God does. It is who He is. Faithfulness is not something that He does. It is who He is. He who promised is what? Is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Those promises are yes and amen. So you hold on to the giver of the promise, knowing that He is faithful, even if you remain faithless. And then you activate those promises by declaring them, by speaking them, by declaring, I have the keys to the kingdom, by declaring, Greater is He who is in me than He is in the world, by declaring that Christ, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the grave, lives in me. I declare I will live and not die. I will declare those promises while I'm holding tightly onto the one who is faithful and the one who gave me the promise in the first place. When Becca was about eight months, don't tell him this entire message was about him (laughs) because he doesn't ask me for money. Um, True story. He was about eight months and he started, when he started crawling. And he was so cute because he started crawling backwards first. And so when he finally found Fersky and he started moving forward, he... Not so much now, but when he was little, he used to love Oscar. He used to look up to Oscar. He used to think that Oscar was the most amazing thing on the planet. And when we were in Houston, we lived in an apartment with concrete floors, and we had this little rug in the lounge room, and so Oscar would bring out his toys. And so Becca's just getting mobile, right? And if you've seen a baby just learning how to crawl, it's the cutest thing ever. They're still a little clunky, you know, finding their way. And so Oscar would be playing with Batman, and, um, and so Becca's just like looking as a Batman is the most special, the most precious toy ever. And as Oscar does, he gets bored of things really quickly. And so he put um, Batman down and Becca would scurry over as he's crawling and he'd pick up Batman because he's like, I've got the prize possession, right? I've got, I've got something really, really special now. And Oscar's off playing with Spider-Man and, and Beckett's just watching him, just watching, watching. And as Oscar does, he gets bored. 
and he drops Spider-Man. So what does Becca do? He scurries along and he picks up Spider-Man. He's got Spider-Man in one hand and he's got Batman in the other and he's like, made it, right? And now Oscar's off playing with Optimus Prime. <laughs> and Becca's got Batman and he's got Spider-Man. And when Oscar got bored of playing with Optimus Prime, he puts him down and I watch Becca scurry over. He's got Batman held tightly in one hand. He's got Spider-Man held tightly in the other. And there's Optimus Prime on the floor. You know what the Lord spoke to me? He has no room to pick up anything else. And so it is with you and I. When we understand our authority, when I have picked up and held on to the one who gives the promise, the faithful one, the giver of the promise, and on the other hand, I'm holding tight onto the promise, guess what? I got no room to pick up anything else. I've got no room to pick up doubt. I've got no room to pick up fear. I've got no room to pick up insecurity. I've got no room to doubt because I'm holding tight onto the promise, the giver of the promise, and I'm holding on tight to the promise that he's spoken. If you find yourself picking up fear, if you find yourself picking up doubt, if you find yourself picking up insecurity, have a look at what you're holding on to. Because when you're holding on to Him and you're holding on to the promise, there ain't no room for nothing else. You want to walk in your authority? You want to understand your authority? Pray that He would open up your eyes. And it's not a bad thing if a mistake is revealed. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing if He puts on your heart, hey, you know what? You've been yelling at your kids a little too much. It hurts, it stings, yes. But once your eyes are open, you can get on your knees and you can say, God, would you forgive me? God, I repent. God, would you open up my eyes so that I can see? It's a good thing to have your eyes opened. And then I repent. I just say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to hurt your heart. I don't want to hurt the heart of the church. I don't want to hurt my family. And I want to make sure I'm holding on to him and I'm holding on to his promise. Can I hear an amen this morning? Do you receive the word this morning? Do you receive it?